to the Consequential Podcast. It's been a while because I've been in Canada and you two don't know how to operate a microphone. Also feckless. Yeah. Yeah, mostly, mostly feckless. Yeah. I reckon I could work it out. No. Oh. It says boob on it. It says blue. No, it says boob on this side. It looks like it says it boob. It looks like it says boob on this side. One of them's a little upside down heart. That's probably why I bought it. Yeah. Sex sells. It really does, yeah. It's really helped in marketing this microphone, which is, let's be honest, reasonably phallic. It does um, look like a sort of horrifying robot dildo. A meshy kind of, villain. It's got, it's got bolts in the side, so it's kind of mm. like a Frankenstein's cock. Well, also, it's not going to slip in, you know? It's, uh, it's not quite a, a flared, flared, a flared base. base is important. Yeah. That went off quite quickly, even for us. Who are you people? Roger. I am Roger. You just said that. This yep. is, you're, you're wasting time. Did you know Other who you were until he said your name? I did need to check. And what, what are you? Lucy, I think, maybe. Okay. Mostly. Mostly. Yeah. Okay. What have you been reading? <laughs> Sorry. Um, what have I been reading? Is it on the thing? Um, I have been reading Saga, the third volume, but I think we've already talked about that. Um... Pretty we deadly. did, it was still good. Pretty Deadly, which we've also talked about, but I might say a few things about. Um, Pregnant Butch, which we've not talked about. That was a recommendation by a very good Twitter friend of mine, Alice Jane, and interesting. I really want to read that. Could I borrow it from you? You absolutely can. I'm really struggling to review it, so if I bail, I'll give it to you tomorrow, if not, like a few days after that. No problem. Um, the Spectral Engine by Ray Fawkes, which was a birthday present from Mr. Connery. Aren't I nice? No. Um, Trees, the first volume, more or less, and I didn't quite get to Cowl. I read Cowl. Do do we want to talk about these things? Talk about about Pregnant Butch, because that's something we've not got into before. And uh, It's a a place that really interests me. Yeah. And if we're talking about it first, we'll not fuck up all of the gender and identity stuff. um, Because we've got our concentrating faces on. Yeah, Mm. you you guys look like you're fucking honed. Like, Like... Birds of prey. Weapons Rawr! of comics Rawr! analysis. Rawr! Okay, you're just idiots. I'm sorry. <laughs> Tell noises. us about the comic. Right, so Pregnant Butch is... Um, the subtitle is Nine Long Months Spent in Drag, which kind of tells you everything you need to know. There's um, there's a little... The, the stuff hiding behind long and drag there. Um, so, it's a memoir um, by... Um, woman called A.K. Summers. She um, uses the nickname Teak throughout most of the comic. It doesn't really explain where it comes from, but that's what she gets called. And Teak like the wood? Double uh, E-K. Okay. No idea. Uh, and it's her story of going through a pregnancy as a fairly strongly self-defining butch lesbian. And so it interrogates a number of, of really quite interesting experiences by contrast and this isn't a new thing. It's quite as, as a kind of biography or memoir shtick, taking a non-majority perspective and using it as a contrast medium to interrogate a common experience, is quite a cool thing to do. So obviously, she's examining butchness in and of itself, but also the differences between her experience and the majority experience of pregnancy. Now, obviously, and that means she's examining female masculinity the kind of mandatory femininity and very tight pigeonholing of femininity that comes with pregnancy, uh, and also a queer experience in an extraordinarily heteronormative space. So there's, there's a lot of, of really quite juicy stuff there. 
And her style's quite cool. So it was partially serialized on the web, I think, and some of it does that kind of single page making a point, and some of it is more turn the page serial. Uh, she likes to draw herself as Tintin quite often, which is pleasingly playful, and it occasionally breaks out into weird stylistic distortions. But fundamentally, the style is, is quite light, quite sort of sad comics memoir. Uh, and she, she goes through a few things, sort of tiny little details, like realizing just how few public toilets there are in New York and how rude everyone is on the subway. Uh, tiny things like that, things like, um, but the kind of some of the emotional experiences of pregnancy, um, her partner's experience, the sort of feeling of inadequacy again, or kind of questionable adequacy against her friends who've been through pregnancy and treated it very differently or willfully participated in. The, what she sees as the fairly mandatory and emasculating femininity. Feelings of emasculation within female masculinity are probably one of the most interesting things it has going on. But the problem I have when I'm, when I'm trying to review it, hopefully I'll get something onto the site, is of the things I am ill-equipped to discuss, lesbian pregnancy is... I can't really think of a better example. Um... Sobriety, no. <laughs> Geneva Convention. <laughs> yeah, it's. I know a reasonable amount about the eight to sixteen cell zygote stage, but how's that going? For I don't you? think that's. It's certainly not informed on comics, particularly. There are very, very few comics set in the early stages of embryo formation. Within a uterus. Which is, I mean, or, someone, or outside. someone needs to get on that because that's rich with narrative potential. The cells divided and then there were more of them. Gosh. Um, yeah. It's Shit. not really the, the bit that gets picked up culturally when you think about having a baby either, though. Mm, it's no. Not the, it's not the problematic part. It's not the fun part. It's, it's the bit with some cells that... She, she does cover that. There's a couple of frames where she's talking about kind of early stage cell division and sort of fetal stages. There's also a wonderful bit at the beginning where she's explaining she really hates the term pregnant but can't come up with anything better and settles on, I'm going with fetal corpulence. And then everyone she knows is disgusted because she's taking a bolt gun to the sacred cow. And it's, mm. it's just, there's lots of little moments like that where she gets slapped down hard for not playing ball with kind of hallmark femininity. There's a part of me that's actually really disappointed that seeing as I very much don't want children mm. I probably won't get the chance to do that in the fuck society way which mm. I would very strongly want to yeah you know it's not a baby it's a fetus kind of thing whilst it's you know the yeah. inside of you stuff that people really fucking hate when they're trying to be nice in a mm. very socially sanctioned way and at the end when she kind of has to cave into it it's quite interesting um so obviously there's a lot of stuff on the medicalization of biological normalcy and trying to have what she describes as a natural childbirth, but she heavily caveats mm. all of that jazz and the kind of the worst excesses of people talking about that stuff. But, um, towards the end, she just kind of folds and gives into it, essentially, very resentfully. And Natural childbirth is something that I associate with the sort of magical thinking mm. around pregnancy as... as a wonderful sort of quasi-spiritual experience rather than... And also the only possible way that you can ensure that your precious offspring has the only thing that is a decent start in life. Yeah. The whole kind of... And she's quite scathing about that. Yeah. So she had... So my reading of the way... Of her approach to it... This is the thing I really... This is why I hate writing about memoir. Um, 
trying to apply highly subjective analysis to what is someone's account of their own life just feels really patronizing and fragile. But insofar as I can tease it out, the their focus on quote-unquote natural childbirth is, seemed to derive more from, from a kind of revulsion at the medicalization of, of motherhood. Um, a revulsion at the emasculation involved in the medicalization of motherhood. Um, but also from at the beginning, and this, this fades and it moves in and out of focus, but the idea that, as she says at one point in some of the early panels, to be butch is to do it yourself. So they do their own insemination. They don't go to a clinic. They, the natural childbirth is felt to be more something that they feel they are in control of and able to participate in rather than having the authority abstracted from you by someone in a white coat. And it feels like they explicitly reject the touchy-feely, let's all do yoga together, sex in the city femininity. Um, in place of a kind of butch do-it-yourself take on natural childbirth. And there's a long interlude in the middle where she's laying in quite aggressively to some of the books about that shit. I don't know, it's... it's... Yeah, it, sounds, it sounds like a thing that mm. I extremely want to read. At the same time as having kind of emotional ups and downs mm. and going through all the shit. And there's, there's a very powerful bit at the end where she says something, it's, it's something like, I just couldn't fight it anymore, I am flesh and snot and tears and eternal woman and it's fucking annoying mm. it, it's something like that that's not quite I've, I've mucked up the cadence there but it's an interesting perspective and I think it's also good that there are it's good that anyone is talking about how it sucks and how mm. it's not perfect and yeah. as in the perspective yeah. is an added thing but I think yeah. a lot of people get scared into mm. scared into other people thinking they're going to be unfit parents yes. if they don't completely buy into the socially sanctioned model of how you have a kid which looks from the outside like a recipe for just fucking everyone up well it's a and it's horrifying so one of, one of the things that, that reading this brought home to me that I've been literally aware of is that parachuting yourself into the the caricature category mother however feminist or high functioning you, you've been for the rest of your life is to lock yourself quite tight into what the patriarchy wants to constrain you to be we we think we've constructed a pretty tight model for what women should be by patriarchy enforcement. Fucking hell, it's dreadful for motherhood. Mm. Um, and particularly during pregnancy where there is a degree of enforced fragility. But also enforced enjoyment. There's a, mm. It must be so nice for you and aren't you glowing and... Uh, yeah. So her one of the reasons I'm struggling to review it is her introduction basically does the job for me. Mm. Her introduction to it kind of says, this is kind of what I'm doing, this is what's interesting about it. A lot of the early feedback it says in the intro said, you know, well, this is this is fascinating, but why is it so negative? Couldn't you maybe include some more of the joy? And her response to that is basically, A, what fucking joy? B, actually, there's plenty of joy in there. I don't have to conform to your fucking cliches. Well, it's the thing of, I don't know if you saw the retweet I did yesterday. I can't remember the person in question, but a guy asking a woman on Twitter if she'd consider doing another Twitter feed for fashion and feminism because he only wants to read about the astrophysics stuff that she does. Uh. It's that. That's what it is. It's it's your version of reality does not conform to my expectations of you, thus I wish you to change what you're doing to conform to my expectations so I don't have to not enjoy myself or think I might be wrong. Yeah. This, this is something that you sort of encounter in every stretch of when people have a sort of a non-revulsive version of, say, homophobia or misogyny, where they have, you know, they dislike trans people inherently because they think it's weird, there is this sort of sense in a lot of the stuff that you see them saying of 
I really don't have the intellectual space to account for things like this in my worldview. Like, this is, this is too, too big, too weird and chaotic, and I want there to be straight men and women and pies, and that's about all I've got yeah. space and understanding for. My desire for an intellectually simple experience of the world trumps your desire for expression or for, for that matter existence. Well, Authenticity. This is, but this is basically how conservatism operates, right? It creates a tempting, grotesque simplification and invites people to buy into it. To go off on a slight tangent, I read something interesting today, kind of related to the not all men thing, which was, mm. I, I can't remember who it was again, but somebody uh, posited five stages of the kind of evolution of thought about sexism in mm. men, which begins with, and you know, not all men mm. is the caveat always, um, beginning with sexism isn't a thing, moving on to sexism is a thing, but reverse sexism against men is worse, moving on to sexism is a thing, but I'm not a sexist. Denial, anger. Moving on to sexism is a thing and I understand that I'm profiting from it to sexism is a thing and the only way it can not be a thing is for me to join the fight against it. And I thought mm. that was a fairly interesting structure. And somebody Does that map to the grief thing? It's close. It's close. Denial, what is it? It's denial, anger, bargaining, something and acceptance. Depression's in there somewhere. Yeah. Maybe that, yeah, actually, if that's stage four, then yeah. I'm... Sexism is a thing, and I'm benefiting from it personally, kind of fits that. Mm. But their, their sort of suggestion was that the recent shift kind of away from. I'm saying shift like it's a thing that we can document, but the shift away from kind of men's rights to not all men suggests the internet consciousness is moving from reverse sexism is worse to, but I am not a sexist. Which is kind of interesting, maybe. I had a, a, like a related experience with um, racial politics in Leeds, where this, this guy asked me for money at a bus stop. Mm. And I said, no, sorry. And he wandered away looking forlorn, and then over, just looked over his shoulder and said, well, fair enough, mate, I am black. He was. Um, it would have just been surreal if he hadn't been. Mm. Um, would that have been more or less weird? And my initial response was not to feel guilty and give him some money. I'm still a cunt. Mm. Uh, but was was kind of to just sit there thinking, well, actually, fair play to you. I mean, on one sense, that's a fairly unpleasant manipulative tactic. But he's not a professional marketer. He's a guy that would like a quid. If he was a professional marketer, he probably wouldn't need the quid. Yeah. It, it, the thing that I got to thinking is, well, I'm not a fucking racist. How dare you? Actually, you don't know. And the thing I thought in my head was, you know nothing about me. And then I realized that's the point. Statistically, of course I'm a fucking racist. It's structural. I'm a white middle class man. I am at least involuntarily complicit in massive structural racism. He will have experienced massive structural racism. It is completely reasonable for him to assume, whilst knowing nothing else about me than my skin tone, that I am at least partly racist. Yeah, so that's you, actually okay. You move from why are you projecting society's racism onto me to because society's racism. Because all you know about me at this point in time is society's racism and the fact that I've refused to give you a quid and I look a bit startled to be approached. The thing I do resent is that I think he mistook my massive social anxiety for racism. It's, but, it's a you know, problem whatever. among the socially anxious. <laughs> you're going to get mistaken for some kind of dick most of the time. And then you're going to be anxious about it. Yeah, a but, lot. But not all socially anxious non-racists. <laughs> Just the three of us. It's good to know that you guys can't switch off either. Um, that was a bit of a digression, but... Um, it was a lot of a digression. Pregnant Butch is super fucking good. Really it's interesting that it's a comic. Um, I mean, presumably she was already a comic creator. I believe she was an illustrator that then moved um, into comics, but yeah. Because very cynically, that has 
New York Times nonfiction bestseller list written all over it if it's written as a memoir. So the thing I find myself comparing it to is like a less, maybe non, but I'm going to go with less transphobic, totally non-sneery, actually fun to read version of Nora Vincent's book, um, Self-Made Man. Do you remember that? Yeah. So she spent, what was it, 12 months? She spent a year kind of living in male communities in, in a certain set of ways. So she got a kind of high-pressure sales job. She got involved with the men's rights movement. She dated girls as a guy. Um, she's also kind of irritating, and I, there's huge problems with the book. There's huge problems with the thing of, I can co-opt part of your entire human experience for a short period of time that I can choose to end at any point for my own personal gain and profit. Now, she actually didn't fuck that. She went kind of crazy at the end and was pretty good about it. Okay. Um, although the follow-up book, by all accounts, is deeply problematic. But I still find the concept problematic, even if the individual it's instance of it is... Yeah. Um, but there, there's, there's some of the same kind of adopted identity outside of perspective analysis there, but this is just such a more joyful thing to read. Although they do both have this... Oh, God. I am not properly qualified to talk about this, and I hope I'm not about to fuck it up. But they both contain some very problematic analyses of trans experience. Um, and Pregnant Butch draws some lines between butch lesbian, the kind of butch lesbian identities and trans experience that I find slightly spurious and kind of problematic. So there's there's a section towards the end where she talks about sort of butchers kind of vanishing in lesbian culture and describes it as, you know, butchers have disappeared, this is now the age of the trans man. Hormone. Science tells us that hormones trump everything, yada, yada, yada. She's quite sceptical of this, but kind of still floats it out there. And the running analogy is quite tongue-in-cheek, and I, I don't think it's meant to be as objectionable as it could possibly come across, but it still kind of does come across. And Is the whole thing just an information architecture problem? Because I assume all this shit for everyone is an extremely long spectrum that we all dot along, and, mm. and trying to say where the boxes begin and end doesn't feel massively helpful when the boxes yeah. are part of the problem. And the, the kind of the, the caricature, and it is explicitly caricature example she gives, is buff dude walking along the beach. Oh, hi, Brenda. Don't call me Brenda. Any- it's not Brenda, but don't call me Brenda anymore. I'm such and such. I'm a trans man. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I, maybe some people's butch does slide into trans, but... I understand them as two completely separate identities. That's kind of where I... I and, and, and maybe it's spectral, maybe but it's I'm not. But I'm not either. I'm not qualified to deal with this. But it, it felt like a deeply unhelpful and heavily problematic conflation. What's the wine? Sadness. No, it's um, not that bad. No, it's it's uh, it's an indifferent Beaujolais Village. It's actually from from Asda, which is a region small grape growing region. Yeah, <laughs> the Asda. Yeah. No, um, I I so it was. I don't have much on the wine rack at the moment. So it was either this or some English wine. I'm not drinking English wine. This one's all right. It's um, it's German grapes made in a kind of Gewürztraminer oh, type style. Enough of your lies. You'll drink that. I won't. I won't drink it. it. I think you might. It's it's actually it's nice. from at all. It's it's um. I've had their wine. No, no, but this this is, it's still this is their new wine. It's still English wine. It's still problematic, but 
It's actually... Did it vote for UKIP? It's made with German grapes. If it did, it's very confused. That doesn't mean it didn't vote for UKIP. Nigel, Nigel Farage is married to a German lady. Oh, but he's not a racist. Actually, he's probably not. He's just a massively cynical sociopath. No, he's a racist. A racist. He's on the record as saying some fairly racist things. Yeah. I don't know. I kind of believe that he'll say more or less anything in order to exploit our broken power structures for personal gain. So that's the wine. Um, and, and the state and of the, the nation. spot of societal collapse. Um, I think we'll probably go into pre- pretty deadly in more detail at another point, so we'll skip over that. Good, though. It is good. It is good. There's a lot to be dug into there about the relationship between trades and singles, but I think that's probably for another yeah. day. Does one or the other of you have the trade? Yeah. Yes. Can I borrow it? Yes. Thank you. We'll talk about it another time. We'll maybe focus on it. I think we should maybe all read it, and that means me read it, and then we'll do a podcast about it. And deadly. So don't don't, don't We're both completely dead now. Okay. Yeah. Can I shove up my bumble? It's a problem. It might be easier with singles. Okay. Yeah. I'm not not lending it to you if you're going to do that. Rigid. Yeah. More yielding. Yeah, but if you're struggling in a mylar bag, and that's probably a little bit less friction. I was thinking, yeah, rolling it into a very tight cylinder and then putting a. Why were you thinking about this? Some kind of nipple. Why were you thinking about this? Maybe a snake bite uh, kid. I was going to bring that up today, actually, and I enjoyed that. That's this, good. This, this you're referring to this friend of the show, Lucy Bellwoods. A uh, wonderful comic about using um, snake bite kits as nipple suction cups. Yeah. I, I was going to try and buy some of those on Amazon off, off the back of the comic, because she said they were really cheap and quite cool, but they don't sell them in the UK. I've, I've been... So the last, the last thing she did was a comic about rope, and this one was, like, cheap non-medically functioning snake bite kits, kits as essentially cheap nipple clamps. Um, and I've been trying to get her to brand her comics as Bellwood's Bargain BDSM. <laughs> um, but so far she's resistant to that, which is unfortunate. Um, but yes, it was it was very good. So that, that is all of the ex- inexpensive fun times. It's, uh, also, um, I mean, we go on about Ojoy uh, sex toy quite a lot. Mm. So if anyone is listening and has read that and enjoyed it they've got a kickstarter at the moment to collect the first year or so of strips into a book I'm almost certainly going to go and donate to that yeah sounds like good times it's doing good work in the community I love how gentle and sex positive it is I I just I fucking love Ojo Sex Toy they don't review a lot that I'd consider buying but no same Mm. because I've already got the only one that anyone needs Mm. and I don't have a vagina you don't um, need a vagina for They've this got one. some bum toys and some um, cock toys. No, the magic wand is great on a dick. My back, my back actually hurts quite a lot as well. So yeah. could use I imagine. I don't know. Would it, would it be any good on my bed? It would be great on the perineum. Probably. I didn't realise it only had two settings. I thought there were like a lot of settings. It's but there's 5,000 RPM and 6,000 RPM. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's faster than my washing machine. By quite a lot. You could probably use it as a tumble dryer if you kind of stuck a t-shirt to it and just switched it on. Yeah. Just sort of shake it dry. It That's kind of besides the point, really. Coming in other colours. It does so look a bit speak. medical yeah, technology. Yeah, discoloration is an issue. Mm. But they're still, they're still pretending it's medical technology. They and really, are they anymore? Yeah. On the picture, it's got a woman just sort of like gently massaging her face on the box. You'd break your jaw. You would break your jaw. Your teeth would be all clacky. You know you don't... You don't, like, pop it in your mouth or anything. I've seen a video of someone inserting it into their anus. Oh, wow. 
Was that yeah. Goatsy Man? Is that how he it got that? No, it wasn't Goatsy Man. It was. It, I really wish I hadn't seen it because now I can't see anything else. Would, would, would you like practice with tennis balls first and then get your grip strength up, or the anus was very flaccid. I think we'll go into what Lucy's been looking at. Not a lot. Not a lot. But you read Hearthstone. Yeah, which has kind of ruined ruined your your brain for everything else. It hasn't really it? ruined it. I think it's made it just a lot better. You just think you're throwing goblins at people all the time. Who's to say I'm not? So, so goblins aside. Trees. 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 Which, which is a place where goblins might live near. Yeah. In the woods. Yeah, it's also a comic by Warren Ellis, who seems to have just suddenly come back to comics. Well, he's been he's been writing prose fiction for a bit. Yeah, and fighting about on the internet. I think he's been writing some non-fiction stuff as well, which could be interesting. Is it psychogeography? Of course it is. Okay. Is it? Of course it is. Yes. So I don't I don't get this. But I don't think he's that mad psychogeography into psychogeography. He's, he's into so the intersection of psychogeography and technology. So yeah. a lot of stuff in Gun Machine, Gun Machine is, about is, that. is about that, but so you get the, the impression he knows it's bollocks. I think the next the next one is called Future Cities. Yes. Um, and is again, it's about um, psychogeography in the sort of sense of the imprints of history and what you mm. can derive from the city and then the technological version of it. But I mean, Gun Machine definitely was psychogeography. Um, the stuff yeah. about the exchanges and, and all of that, mm. it's, it's verging on sort of quasi-mystical psychogeography. Um, so Trees. So yeah. Trees, which is... Uh, uh, what's the artist's name? I can't remember. Do you have my copy of it? It's upstairs on my desk. I think it's Jason Howard. Sorry if it's that not. That sounds plausible. Sounds like a man. There's like eight comics that came out this month written by someone called Jason, and it's very confusing. Um, it's the second first single in a run that I've ever read that's actually made me really, really, really want to read the rest of the series. Oh, was the it? other one Moon Knight? No, the other one was not Moon Knight. The other one was uh, Sex Criminals. Ah, so you don't just like Warren Ellis. I then. don't just like Warren Ellis. I also like, you know, weird boning and That's theft. still Warren Ellis. And, yeah, still Warren Ellis. <laughs> so, what, so, tell us about it. Okay, so the premise is it's set in the future-ish, I believe. Seems to be. Um, and at some point, ten years from ten years ago from when the comic is set, there there appeared these kind of big things that kind of smashed into cities from the sky, which um, people are calling trees. Um, and the kind of the the deal with them is that they are intelligent life in the universe, but they do not recognise humans as intelligent life. So they've come and smashed things. These things are kind of occasionally like exuding toxic waste. Nuclear missiles deactivate when they get within range of them. It's They're big and they're weird and they haven't really been doing much and nobody yeah. seems to know what's going on with them. They just occasionally exude vast amounts of toxic sludge. And the, the thing that the comic... So what that's been tweeted a lot, and the, the the phrase that a lot of the blurb picked up was exerting their silent pressure on us, mm. um, which I think is in the first issue. But they seem to have become both instantly part of the furniture, as in it's no longer really weird that there's one of them just springing out of Lower Manhattan. Yeah, and at the same time, they're very much, as you say, a silent presence. Mm. They're they're you know, an implicit part of the society. People aren't sort of constantly fighting back. They're almost sort of. They're treating them as a natural disaster that could recur, mm. and the way that society changes is there's the aftermath of the landing, which is the first sort of wave of natural disaster, and then sort of 
preparedness for what if something else happens. Mm. And that's only faintly referred to. So the, it, it's set across four places, I think. Um, Brazil, Manhattan, the Arctic, and a city in China. I think it's China. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, so obviously it's going to be very different experiences. The first, the first issue is a little vignette of each of the four. I don't know how it's going to progress. I don't know if each issue is going to be a bit of the four. I don't know if it's going to dive into one of them. It's, I'll be intrigued to find out. My, my objection to the first issue I, I was just that it didn't give us very much from each because it kind yeah. of needed to do all of them. It was, it was, it felt slight. Yeah. It felt it, tantalizingly so, but oh, slight. Absolutely in a good way. I, I wanted more, but I was disappointed at not having more at the same time. Image do a good job of putting all the ads at the back. I enjoyed I like that. that. That was nice. Yeah. Also, they were ads for things I might actually want to yeah. read, which was also nice. The cover's gorgeous. Mm. And the cover of volume two that they showed of one of the ads was also gorgeous. Yes. It's very hellblazery. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I agree entirely. It. It seemed quite slight. It seemed ex- exposition heavy. Um, but then it's the, it's the start of what's meant to be an ongoing. I didn't. It didn't feel like exposition. So it, it wasn't felt like not not in the negative way. It wasn't. Obviously, it was exposition. Yeah. So. It wasn't. It wasn't clumsy, but it was doing a lot. It wasn't necessarily at the expense of the story because it was quite well woven into the mm. dialogue. But obviously, there's a big info dump for a series like mm. this where there's a single concept that everything else runs around. But I was, so I didn't actually pay much attention to the writing, the exposition, the kind of critical side of stuff. I was just basically entirely grasped by the concept. It's the kind of, the weird, mysterious, intelligent life that we can't pass and what's it doing here is like a big, like brain tick for me. That's the thing that I, you know, I spend a lot of time Mm. reading about like ancient aliens and shit like that. And it's all bollocks, but it's interesting to think about. So this is a return to something that Warren has vague previous on. He does, a, he does a few kinds of things, and they always have lines of similarity between them. But, well, not always, often. often yeah. But his kind of big... One of the things he has a tendency to do is, is basically setting very acutely real personal humans in a big sci-fi backdrop. So Ocean, which is probably the weakest one of those, is about a um, space station orbiting Europa in a corporate dystopia where, like, your sysadmin can put firmware in your brain to stop you thinking the things the company doesn't want, but you can fight against it. Mm. Um, and they discover hundreds and hundreds of sarcophagi beneath the ice mm. and have to work out what's going on. Um, and it turns out they're alien murder bastards because that makes for a nice crescendo ending. But it's that's kind of his corporate dystopia 2001, I guess, the finding the remnants of something tattered out on the fringe of the solar system. Um, Orbiter, which is the strongest piece of... And he did Ministry of Space as well, didn't he? Mystery of Space, yeah. Um, Orbito is about a returned spacecraft that comes back covered in organic tech goop with an impossibly preserved astronaut and how mm-hmm. you pick apart at it. Not unlike um, the chimpanzee complex, but much, much better. Um, he, he, he likes... that. There's this thread of Ellis which is liking to throw up big concepts sci-fi mm-hmm. and then do humans do in front human of it. Do human stuff with it, yeah. And that, that ticks all my boxes, basically. This so the... Is, um, the Mass Effect 2 DLC where you actually unearth the Prothean mm. is in that that was like brain lighting up stuff for me and this this is in the same box as that and sorry if that was spoilers for anyone but no I never played that I meant what I quite liked about it is it's the, the so it's doing unknowable alien and it doesn't go instantly to either a Lovecraft or a 2001 place 
which is nice. It's really nice. It's so abstract as well, just calling them trees, yeah. setting them in that way, and these, these trunks that just go straight into the clouds. It's beautifully designed. And the strange um, symbols on stuff up close, the kind of... Mm. I'm worried about that. It's a little bit crop circle-y. Mm. Not, it's not derivative, I'm not saying that, but I kind of thought it for a minute and then dismissed it. Okay. It's more circuit diagrams. Mm. You sort of see at the end it's repeated in something else as well. Oh, the flowers, yeah. Yes, the thing I wasn't saying for fear of spoilers. Is that a spoiler? It's so mysterious, not. I don't think it counts. Probably not. I just like xenolinguistics is the problem. That's going to cause a lot of problems. It's going to cause a lot of problems, a lot, not a lot of problems. limited to the fact that there just aren't aliens right now, maybe at all. Yeah. I like, I like to hope there will be, hmm. although not like in trees. Yeah, it'd be nice if they were the good kind, hmm. like the Vulcans, not the bad kind, like most of the other kinds. Yeah. I guess the Vulcans were dicks to begin with. They were kind of dicks, yeah, but at least they're not, dicks. you know, explicitly racist like some of the ones in Star Trek. That's true. Not in the Gene Roddenberry series, but, you know, later on. Did you see that Jamie McKelvey tweet about Star Trek Into Darkness feeling massively culturally regressive against the original series because it's so achingly whitewashed and gender simplified? Well, there's that. There's also the fact that the original Star Trek, and I am by no means an expert, I've only seen a bit, but the original Star Trek feels like, fucking hell, the UN's going to work, it's going to be in space, it's going to be brilliant, we're going to do nice things. Mm. Um, And there's a sort of optimism. And um, the, the newer ones are, hey, what if, rather than at the start when they were going to do this, they became heavily militarized instead? Wouldn't that be fun? And it's a sort of, it's a post 9 11 reaction. Yeah, it's the 21st century. What if the nice things are actually bad? Yeah, but it just, it loses the sort of inherent optimism and it loses the incredibly progressive um, stuff that was in the original Star Trek because at the time there was, you know, there are American characters working alongside Russian and Chinese. Um, there are people of various different races, and of course, it incorporates aliens because they're progressive enough to incorporate. There's interracial making out. I mean, yeah. that was unheard of at the time. Yeah. Well, yeah, and the but f- that was more radical than the interspecies stuff. Yeah. Well, the fact, yeah, the fact that they've got sort of the aliens there is that to me is sort of Gene Roddenberry saying the shit that you're still hung up on shouldn't even be a thing. What's wrong with you? I. I elastically enjoy Star Trek, the original series, but it is so full of hope in kind of places. So I'm much more familiar with TNG. Which is poisonous to you. Yeah. Yeah. I I swell up. It's ugly. The the whole premise of, you know, humanity has eradicated the things which keep us tethered to almost unsustainable lifestyles, you know, eradicated Mm. the need for want and labour and sickness... And we're free to fulfil our entire potential. It's just, like, mind-expandingly hopeful. Well, if they weren't liminally racist, the Ferengi would actually be an incredibly radical concept. They're, they're not liminally racist, are they? They're, they're really quite racist. Okay, fine. I was trying not to upset the Star Trek fans, but yeah, it's pretty fucking racist. That's what I would... When I was yeah. saying racist aliens, that's exactly what I meant. I, I got really high and watched the first Ferengi episode of TNG and just, like... It's it's a few into the first series, and I'd seen the end of the sort of the last three or four seasons, but not the first few due yeah. to watching them with the previous housemate. And I just I was like, is this a parody? What, what's mm. what's going on? I mean, the good version is, and I quite enjoy thinking about it in this terms: build a post-capitalist world, then inject capitalism into it, and look at it and say, how fucked up is that? Mm. Unfortunately, all the racism. 
Yeah. Yeah, we're not for the racism, actually. That would be excellent social commentary. But instead, it's the bad kind of social commentary where you're racist and we comment on it. Mm. Yeah, it's, it's the bad sort where it just looks like an old propaganda poster from yeah. Nazi Germany, yeah. which is not a good basis for... Is racism actually the right term? Or, well, it's horribly complicated. Yeah. It's close enough to racism. Yeah. It feels racist. It does. It does feel racist. But trees is quite good then. Trees is quite trees, good. Then. Trees good. Racism bad. Racism bad. I think we've covered this before, but it's worth coming back to. We do not really. We're not fans of racism. No. No. Generally, the the cultural oppressions are things that we're yeah. we're not big on. Yeah, we're kind of kind of down on those. Yeah, and quite rightly. Not so. down with them. No. Down on them. It's not different. on the down low with them. No, no, we're not secretly colluding with racism. No. We're just, not, just to make that well, clear. Well, I, I don't we're know. We're not white middle class, so technically, yeah, we are. We are. See previous. Yeah. Um, Strumpet is a book that. It's a book. Yeah. It's it's a book that I began reading today. I thought this was getting kind of aggressive there. <laughs> In a sort of yeah. what, sixteenth, seventeenth century way? Or? Yeah. Yeah. Getting, like, bringing out the old Elizabethan beef talk. Not talking about beef, which is, I assume, a thing they did a lot of in Elizabethan times. No, Presumably, Elizabethan with an apostrophe oh, is just God. like the world's worst costume drama porn film. Oh Christ! Did you? Are you suggesting we dress up roasts and make them talk? <laughs> no, no, that's, no, be- no, that's better than my thing. Just, just fist a roast and have it as a puppet. Or <laughs> like when the first guy drops his trousers, he's got a ruff on his cock. Yeah, that would be good. Is that more Tudor? I'd just like a moment <laughs> of silence for fist a ruff. So the Strumpet is billed as a transatlantic flight of comics glory or something of that ilk. It was what a, does that mean? I don't know. So it was a Kickstarter. It was previously, I think, a British women's comics anthology slash collective type thing that became a transatlantic thing and rebranded itself and did a Kickstarter. And I got it because I bought it through the Kickstarter and hadn't just. it's been set under a pile of books next to my desk and I had a moving desk, so I happened to find it and I gave it a read. And it's basically got the anthology problem, which I think I brought up when I talked about Anything That Loves ages and ages ago, which is the um, kick-started uh, yeah. anthology about bisexual experience. Yeah. It's, it's meant to be a vehicle for inclusivity and giving a platform to people who are struggling to find a platform elsewhere. And the incredibly unkind part of me thinks that there might be a reason why they haven't got a platform elsewhere. Yeah, I mean, this is this is. So it it kind of depends on the anthologies. There's always going to be personal taste, mm-hmm. um, but essentially there is a bar for what you accept, and a bar for what you can accept. And I think so. I just backed Smart Peddler, mm-hmm. and presumably the number of people. Which one's that? Uh, Smart Peddler is it's a sort of an all-purpose erotic comics. No, it's well, it's. Uh, Spike Troutman, um, who this is the second volume that she's funded on Kickstarter. Jess Fink will almost certainly be in it, mm-hmm. um, but it's um, the the first one did great guns on Kickstarter, um, and that means the people applying. There's a lot of them, yeah, and there's a lot of people drawing these sorts of comics. So presumably they they can get a reasonably high standard of writer and artist, mm-hmm. even if. Not everything is to all tastes, and inclusivity is part of their remit as well. So not sure. everything is going to be to all tastes. But 
if you are, yeah, if you're particularly if you're a first time um, anthology, you don't have a name for yourself, you may struggle and may have to take on stuff that you wouldn't necessarily want to. Sure. I mean, so I'm only, I think I'm three or four comics in and they've been quite tight on page allocations because I think they did get a fair number of submissions that sort of three and four pages and nothing has nothing has really told me a story or indeed told me a story I at all cared about in that time. It's It's been three three in a series of I don't know what this is or why I'm reading it kind of thing. And that's not, that's not, you know, that's not a helpful comment for me to make particularly because it's not, it's not a criticism you can really answer to, but it just, it feels too disjointed for me to, too disjointed and not engaging enough for me to be particularly enthusiastic about continuing. It's a pity. It is a pity and that's, it's one of those things where I sort of, I really like supporting the thing, but I don't like the thing. Any good bits? I haven't got to them yet. Right. I assume there will be. It's it's always troubling when you've, you've banked something on Kickstarter, you don't get to see it in advance, you don't really get to know everything that's going into it. Um, you can't flick through it in the shop. I'm still, I'm, I mean, I'm still glad yeah. I gave them money. I'm not feeling sort of miserly about it in the slightest. Yeah. That's, so some people will. Yeah. Uh, generally, if I, I find that if I put money into something like that, then I know because it is an endeavour by humans that it might not turn out exactly as I want. It might be flawed um, or not to your taste, yeah. for instance, because humans made it. Yeah, so I, when I back something on Kickstarter, it's made with that understanding. I kind of feel like but, it's sort of fun gambling. Yeah, mm. I think a lot of people feel like they're buying the thing that's in their heads and then get annoyed when it's not that. Yeah, I try not to. So I, I've i never backed anything on Kickstarter or anything other than at least sometimes above the now send me the thing backing level. I've never given anyone the, hey, here's a quid, I wish you well. I've always treated it as kind of a shop with caveats, but I I still don't see the point about getting pissy if you're disappointed by the end point. Like, if I buy a book after a flip through and I'm disappointed, then... (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, it's... Which brings me neatly onto TCAF. Was there a Women in Comics panel? No. Oh, that's good. Yeah. That's really nice. Again, I think we've passed from... God, I hope there's a women in comics panel to... God, I hope there isn't a women in comics panel. Yeah, it's just in the right way. It's it's one of those things where... Sorry, we've kind of gone from God, I hope there isn't a women in comics panel to God, I hope there is to God, I hope there isn't again, but on the right Mm. side. You kind of... um, it's, It's interesting. I think we've talked about it before, but you kind of want that resource for sort of young female creators or people who are thinking about becoming creators to say these are the sort of experiences there are but it did sort of become comical that every single show had this and it was the same people complaining that they were only on this panel um, because they don't get to talk about their work or things they actually find interesting outside of defined by their gender yeah Yeah. but so yeah I was at TCAF um Toronto Comics Arts Festival, which is a lovely festival, and one of the reasons that it's really nice is the sheer um, level of representation across the board for absolutely every every type of creator that was there. So there were, um, I mean, the the there was a very noticeably higher level of queer trans 
however people want to identify in terms of gender or sexuality, creators and publishers there. Um, so there's only Mark, who's a trans creator. There was there were plenty of um, gay individual creators and publishing houses. There's a publisher that translates gay Japanese manga into English. Which one? Uh, I can't remember the. I can't remember the it name. It wasn't June, was it? Did they go? That past? doesn't. That doesn't ring a bell. Because anyway. um, there were there, anyway, carry on. Um, they were they were quite interesting. There was a lot of stuff about sexuality, to be honest, because mm. there was sort of, there was Spike Troutman who's doing Smut Peddler, mm. um, and people like um, Jess Fink mm. and a few others that I didn't really know, um, but were in the same same sort of field. You get a few at Thought Bubble, but it's not many. Yeah, and but it felt sometimes their comics are really shit. But it felt and there was Chip Zdarsky who you know. He's just a gigantic, filthy pervert. Whatever yeah. Chip Zdarsky is. Yeah, I didn't go near him. Mostly Did he have because sex it was an enormous queue. Poutine? No, he lives in Toronto. I don't okay. think it would have been a novelty to him. He might have done it anyway. Mm. Um, Did you have poutine? Not sex. There were. I ate. I, I ate poutine. Just thrashing you out cock first in a bowl of curd and chips. That would. You'd burn your dick on the gravy. You would. You would burn yeah. your dick you'd on the gravy. Get a winky burn. And you wouldn't want to let it get cold because you know. Let's face it. It's you don't want. Conge- you don't want congealed poutine all over your, your business no you don't want that um fuck I'd like to eat some poutine it's you said you found a veggie one yeah there was a veggie one which was like cheese curds and uh, different sort of sauce and, and various things piled on I could just make my own you can yeah. make really good veggie gravy though oh god yeah you can yeah. why people don't as standard in you public even, settings bothers me you don't even have to use mushrooms I use. I actually quite. I like to use some um, fermented preserved black beans to add a little base, yes. base depth. Social justice and gravy. We've got it all. I've been using soy and mirin to yeah. sweeten and salt my pasta sauces, and Ooh. it's going well. It's going well. Where do you stand on morels? Uh, they're good. I've got some dry ones. I need to do something with. I should do something with them at you. Yes, that would be good. I I, I like fungus. I like the special fungus for grown-ups as well. But anyway, good job on, on representation, TCAF. That was yeah. great. Um, you did a... You, you guessed it on a podcast when you were out there. I did. A guest I did. cast. I did. That uh, seems weird. It by was, accident. It was, there, was, there were people shouting at each other and it looked like it was fun. Yeah, it was fun. It was the Shanna Hannigan's podcast. Two people you look like whose surname was. I can't. I can't say the words now. <laughs> the surname Shanigan. Right. It's shenanigans plus oh, Shanigan. Shenanigans. Probably. Yeah. You Maybe can say Shanigan. A chicky. The reason. The reason they can. They can have a podcast called that, is that they weren't drinking throughout, which we are. I'm not. We've had, we've had a tipple. We. We're, well, you're not. No, you don't drink. So. Don't, don't, don't. No, but I'm also like saying fucking horrible things in spite of not being you're worse, wasted. You're worse than the rest of us. Yeah, I mean, I was, I was trying to have a, a, a nice sort of slightly pie in the sky conversation about how how mm. nice representation is. Um, how, how good TCAF um, was it, and you just wanted to talk about gravy. 
And magic they're, mushrooms. They're comics creators, right? Aren't they? Or one or both of them? <laughs> Uh, yes, they are. They both um, they collaborate on a comic called uh, Silly Kingdom, which mm. I picked up and was really good fun, very funny. Um, People should buy that. All ages comic. They should buy that. What's it know. about? It is about a sort of gently demented fantasy kingdom, and I think there's one issue of it out so far, which is about thirty-five, forty pages, um, about the slightly overzealous uh, or overeager. Um, princess trying to throw a birthday party for the angry old wizard. Oh, that um, sounds fun. It's, it is fun. It is fun. Does it distinguish itself from Adventure Time significantly enough for it not to be a thing? Or? Oh, it's, I mean, it's it's more like a sort of traditional fantasy world. Sure. Wizards look like wizards. People have little crowns. I guess I'm just kind of um, interested in how much Adventure Time has seeped into the standard fantasy thing for kids quite now. Quite a lot, I think. Mm. I mean... Don't understand it. So, I like it. I find it charming. I Not mean, without reservation. But there's a lot of there's a lot of animation studios out in Toronto, and a lot mm-hmm. of the people that I met um, were either we were usually making comics as a secondary thing to their day job, which was working in animation, and a lot of people had worked on things from the same studio as Adventure Time or the same, you know, group of creators. There's like a, a big sort of, a big ticket uni or master's course somewhere out there that churns out a lot of good there's animators, There's a couple, yeah. It's, yeah, there's a couple. But it's, it's a bit of a nexus of, of decent animation. Yeah, but it means that you've got a lot of very skilled um, artists who are also working on comics, so mm. there's a lot of people there who are just mm. doing comics as their own stuff. And very skilled artists that are used to working to a brief and a deadline. Yeah. Was there a different feel to... A city, for instance, which has which is churning out lots of good artists, has an artist community than say Thought Bubble, where I don't know, I don't feel like Leeds is a huge centre of comics creation. I'm sure there's no. some there, but no, so I, I don't know. It did it did feel slightly different to me in that a lot of people knew each other, mm. um, and you get that a bit with the creators of Thought Bubble. But this was sort of a lot of people hadn't really travelled that far. There was mm-hmm. a lot of people mm. from Toronto there. There was still lots of people from these are just their bros, not just their else. comics friends, but their bros kind yeah. of thing. Yeah. Yeah, so there was a different but not thing. Not that What what was really nice as well was the fact that it was in a public library and it was free, so it meant there were a lot of people coming in who were just um, wandering off the street, kind of thing. Or? There was a bit of that. Um, there was people who were coming to see what was there and, and look around. Quite a lot of kids as well. Who were, oh, cool. Um, and kids with parents. How was the well. cosplay? There wasn't any. They, oh, really? they discouraged really? it. Yeah, because, oh, like it's, because it's, a, it's a public space yeah. and it's still being used as a library while this is going on. I like that, one of the things I really like about Thought Bubble, there are lots, I like almost everything about Thought Bubble, um, but is that, may, I assume people do because it's the world and the world is horrible, but it seems like the cos, like no one massively harasses the cosplayers. Yeah, I've certainly it, it not It feels like a safe space, anything. but then again, I don't cosplay at Thought Bubble, so maybe they do have a horrible time. But Well, maybe. I um, made fun of them behind their backs a couple of times. Is that kind of harassment? Nah. I, I thought it was really kind They're of behind their backs funny, sweet and weird that there was someone dressed as Solid Snake with a group of people who were clearly in furry outfits. Um, and it was just like there was some clear miscommunication and that, you know, everyone else... Should we all come in our fursuits? And then they yeah. all just... Yeah. yeah, everyone else had come as an actual animal of some sort. Oh, so I was at this Pokemon thing because Kit was in the Pokemon National Finals. Um, and you should was, be making more of a big point about this than you just did. And there was this guy in what looked like a full-on like sexy times fursuit. 
just nonchalantly wandering around, and he was totally owning it. I was kind of like, yeah, you go, dude. Was it notably Pokemon-themed, or was it just a fursuit? It was a multi-tailed fox. I don't think that's a Pokemon. I think oh, that's fuck, just a... it might be, though. There's like 700 of the tail. things now. Yeah. How did he get on? Kit. Hmm. Um, Not the fairy dude. I don't know how the fairy... They seem to know each other. But uh, I think he came, like, 40-something or 30-something. He didn't quite make the top-level cut, but he did pretty well. Cool. Was he pleased with yeah. them? Did you have a nice time in the Manchester? Yeah. Oh, Manchester's cool. Manchester's well worth going to. Hmm. Uh, the northern quarter's kind of like Brighton with funny tasting tap water. Hmm. And sparklers. Yeah, the, yeah I, I'm not down with this whole sparklers on the beer thing. This is this is the the sort of tap that forces their head onto the things. They're not just waving. Shit yeah, yeah. Fireworks. Sorry. Fireworks. So in some places, including the British North, if someone's serving real ale, they'll put an attachment on the end of the tap that froths it up because that gives you a kind of creamy head and a bit of foam to it because people think that's what beer should look like. Fair enough to them. It actually doesn't affect the flavour, but except in the very first taste where it's got an edge. Does it? It doesn't carbonate the rest of the beer. Well, it doesn't, it no, doesn't. There's no actual carbonation. It just okay. froths it up. Interesting. So, the price you pay for that is it loses some condition, so it's in low condition anyway, not very fizzy. Mm. Then it'll be even worse, but that's not a huge problem. Well, it's better than the other option, which I assume is a northern man kind of swishing it around his mouth and spitting it in your glass, so it's nice and foamy. Yeah. I assume that's what they used to do in the olden days. I believe so. And then George Stevenson came along and built a Stephen Power. Well, no, I think they did it up until about 2005, because it was, you know, the good old-fashioned make-do-and-mend way. They still do it for southerners. (laughs) <laughs> for that authentic experience thing, yeah, yeah. this is brilliant right so everywhere I've, everywhere that I've been um, in the north travelling recently in the last few years like Leeds Manchester Newcastle a couple of other places very like York various other places in Yorkshire bits of the Lake District whatever um, I've had a lovely time and it's been fantastic and I've come to realise something very important about the north which is the reason I fucking hate the north and think that everyone's oh the north is so friendly thing is bollocks is because I grew up in Teesside, which actually is a deeply unpleasant, hostile shithole. The rest of the North is fucking charming. So the whole time you thought that we were just being fucking idiots who couldn't see what a terrible place it was, and actually the rest of it was really nice. As far as I can tell, yes. Interesting. Right. There's this tiny bubble of kind of decayed industrial, looks a bit like budget Blade Runner kind of nonsense where... You kind of get that outside any major town. I mean, the urban... Well, you know, no one's got a job and casual violence appears to be the main hobby. And, and pit bulls. Yeah. Are you sure you didn't just grow up on the set of Mad Max 3? Were there any pit bulls? Tina Turner wouldn't leave us alone, so maybe. Uh, it does explain how you've maintained the two men enter, one man leaves uh, policy to all aspects of your life. <laughs> Oh, that's gently horrifying. Yeah, it is. We should talk about some comics. Mm. Maybe. Um, well, actually, um, so I, I really enjoyed TCAP. I don't think I did like it as much as Thought Bubble. Um, and in a couple of weeks, I'm off to LCAF. So this East is London Comics. East Art. London Comics. Oh, so I'm going to all the CAFs. Mm. I, didn't go, I didn't go to Van CAF because two Canadian CAFs would be too much. It's too much CAF. Indeed. It's more You're going to expect a fried breakfast at some point. It's more cafe. But you went to Tim Hortons, right? I went to, yeah, of course I went to Tim Hortons. I need fucking coffee and I was in Canada. <laughs> um, 
This, this bothered me. It was difficult to get coffee I liked. I struggled. I just learned to love the Tim Hortons filter coffee. No, you didn't. I liked it. No, you didn't. Also, you can get like a bucket for no money. That's true. That is certainly true. Yeah, so if you enjoy heart palpitations and the odd donut, Tim Hortons is very, very good. Did you take advantage of Canada's vast uh, reserves of maple syrup, marijuana, and prescription medication? And uranium. Yes, no, no, no. So the only uh, the only maple syrup I had was in a crepe. Uh, which a crepe or syrup? It was not called that. Uh, Should have been. It, it was. It was. Uh, what was it? What was in it? It was brie, maple syrup, and spinach. That's Fucking weird. Hell, it was really good. I'm not alright with that. It was really good. I also had one from the same place, which was spinach, goat's cheese, olive oil, and salt, and that was excellent. So that I eat, but you'd need to get rid of the strawberries and the bullshit from the other one. No, it was good. It was really good. How do they do the strawberries? Very thin slices, and then just on top of the cooked pancake. That's still harshing my food boner. No, you'd no, like I it. No, I can see that. That's I was good. afraid they were big, juicy chunks of no, watery ones, which no, wouldn't have worked. No, no, but it was from a crepe place, and I can't remember the name of it. Crepe expectations. It was. It was a bad joke, I think. Mm. Oh no, it wasn't. It was called Crepes a Go Go. Mm. It was uh, run by a very enthusiastic French woman across two locations, and she was always there. In both both of them, whenever I went in, which is terrifying. How many times did you go in? Well, three times. Each or? No, two in one location, one in the other. I mean, she was clearly just working in different branches on different days. I now really want to open a really deliberately posed, dingy, slightly grimy crepery and call it the crepes of wrath. Uh, I'd eat there. You know I would. Yeah. Can well, some of them be buckwheat? Yeah, right. Before you youngsters moved here, there used to be a crepe and waffle place on Castle Hill. There used to be a waffle place where fucking Lola Lo and Ladbrokes is now. That was for like ten minutes. That was for like most of the time I was an undergraduate. Yeah, that's that's not very long. They did a really oh my god, they did a gigantic waffle just covered in mozzarella and tomatoes and black olives. It was right. a good waffle. Thai so curry. What- Sorry. On, a, um, on a waffle. On a waffle. That's ham and cheese. Like ham and cheese is fine. Chocolate and ice cream and a bunch of bullshit like that. That stuff you put on a waffle. Yeah, not not caprese salad and tiring curry. Yeah, like waffles. So what? I like potato waffles. What? Well, I like bird's eye potato waffles. Yeah. You've just. I used to love when when I was you... a kid. Blah, my head just exploded because of class prejudices and stuff. They were, they, they were like forbidden food when I was a kid, but we would sometimes have them at boarding school. And then when I went home, I was like, can we have potato waffles? And my mum was like, what? No, what's wrong with you? We had them at boarding eat. school. And she was like, but isn't your boarding school all posh? I mean, like, we've practically killed ourselves to send you there even with the scholarships. Why are they giving you fucking potato waffles? And I was like, I don't know, they're tasty. Dace begs me for potato smileys on a regular basis, but I won't cave. I just don't like my potatoes to be that cheerful. You can turn them upside down. Could I could they or calm them up like the then, Joker? Then they just look like they've got very low set eyes and a unibrow. Yeah, frowny unibrow. They're a frowny yeah. brow. I could do a little sad blob of ketchup at the bottom. And that I might be seriously just go for Joker slices. Hmm. We should probably. You, talk you, about you could also complex. get some like some of the alpha bites, little potato letters, and like you could write sad poetry that the frowny people have made. Or just cunt. 
Can I do some of it with alphabetic spaghetti as well so it looks a bit like you've ripped it out of some different newspapers yeah. except one of them's a tin of spaghetti and the one of them's a frozen note. bag of potato snacks. Yeah, also you'd get some vitamins that way. I do need some vitamins. I'm basically shitting out everything I eat at the moment. So what were the highlights of TCAF? So the highlights of TCAF for me were eating plenty of fruit and veg. Yeah, uh, yeah like you did. No, I did. This is what happens if you go with someone who's healthy. They're, they'll force you to eat these things. Um, I have some blueberries. They'll make you live longer. Is that the kind of bullshit I say? No, but I did go, I did go to a, a, a vegan cafe. That was Get out! No, I want to go there too. I like vegan cafes. Actually, I've been to a couple of vegan restaurants in London. They were nice. Did you have a tofu scramble? No, I had hummus. I was trying to fuck salad. this really hot vegan at the time. That sounds pretty good. Yeah. I ate oh. half a sandwich before I came here. A lot of bowl of soup. So apart from the fruits and vegetables, what else did you enjoy about uh, TCAF? Some good panels, some really, really interesting panels. Um, if you are a massive nerd, so there was a great one on design. Chad um, Chip Kid there, who is one of the people that I love, even if his Batman comic was a bit rubbish. You, you get was that Death by? Yeah, Death by Design, he wrote. Uh, there was a great panel on Herotica with like lots of interesting people. Hopefully these are online, I might be able to link to some of them. That'd be cool. Um, that was in a pub though, so everyone was drinking. Um, but it was that was fun. That was one of the funniest ones. Saw um, Ed Brubaker and Darwin Cook giving an introduction mm. to a movie, and those guys they had a moderator. None of the moderators at this thing did a very good job, but it did make me feel a lot better about not being able to keep you guys on topic for even a fucking moment because Ed Brubaker and Darwin Cook, uh, despite being middle-aged men, were gigantic children. Um, but they were a lot of fun, and they were entering a sort of crime uh, heist film that they'd picked. Mm. Um, early Stanley Kubrick called The Killing, and then we watched that, and that was nice. Mm. Um, but really, the, the 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 highlight was just the sheer range of people that were there that were involved, and sheer number of people that actually turned out to see that it was really nice. So you would generally recommend Tika? Yeah. Yeah, it was a very, very... Uh, what did you pick up? Festival. I'm not sure you talked about something already. I picked up a lot of stuff. So, um, I got Andre the Giant uh, by Box Brown, which is a biography of the wrestler Andre the Giant, and, of course, a uh, character from The Princess Bride, um, which was really good. I think I'm writing that up at the moment, so I won't go into it too much, but really enjoyed it. Um, got Beautiful Darkness, which is by people whose names I cannot conceivably pronounce. Uh, so Fabian Vellman and Kerasquet, which is uh, an artist collective of Marie Pompoy and Sebastian Cosset. Um, and they were the artists on Miss Don't Touch Me, which oh, you really liked. I, I really like that. Um, and that is a just savage little fairy tale. You have a bunch of sort of thumb-sized fairy tale characters who do not realise that they are in the real world and it's just horrible and oppressive and animals are not cute and fun, they just kill them. Um, humans are terrifying and uh, they don't realise that most of the things that are provided to them, the, the sort of things they build shelters from, are actually just the 
belongings of a young girl whose corpse they're looting. Essentially, it's really... Dark? It's really dark, heavy... Jesus. And stuff. It's unpleasant. Um, I would enjoy that. And it all goes a little bit Lord of the Flies. Um, it's 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 pretty heavy reading. That's um, fantastic. I picked up um, Hip Hop Family Tree, which is by Ed Pisco, who wrote uh, WYSIWYG. Which have we talked about that before? It sounds familiar. I think, I think we've mentioned have. it. It's yeah. a lot of it was online. Yeah, it's on boingboing.net. Um, and I think that was why I didn't read it. Yeah, you guys really hate that site. It's just, it's not a... They haven't optimised their format for reading quickly. They've just changed the format. Okay, and so it might be better now. They've got a doctorate. They do have doctorate, but you don't need to read the stuff. But it's it's a history of early hip-hop. It's mm. not something I'm desperately familiar with, but I really enjoy it, partly because it's sort of... It's presented as comics from the time, essentially. It looks mm-hmm. very much like Marvel Comics at the time. Um, it's brilliantly designed. The, the book itself is sort of massive, oversized thing, and mm-hmm. really, really well put together and really enjoyable. If um, you wouldn't mind lending, I'd be interested to read it. Um, if I can carry it in, I can come to your house with my automobile if that's easier. Yeah, I got um, Undertaking of Lily Chen by Danica Novgorodov, um, which is about a young man with family issues setting out to find a corpse bride for his brother who has died and he needs a corpse to to marry to his brother to accompany him in the afterlife um and he meets the eponymous lily chen who is struggling with uh family in a in a, in a different series of ways but it's basically about sort of the expectations that the families put upon their children and their reactions to them um and he spends most of it planning to murder her and use her corpse to pay off his debt to his family. That also sounds good. I'd it's, like it's, to read that. It's good, yeah. I, it's, it's one of those books where it's slightly unfortunate the cover is brilliant and is better than the artwork inside it. Um, the artwork inside it is, is sort of beautifully grotesque. Um, it's no problem with the, uh, the Spectral Engine, which is also Canadian, but is... Um visually just massively outstrips the storytelling which just mm, is annoying I think the storytelling is probably better than the art in Lily Chen but there are places where it's um, so it's this really interesting mix of watercolours and then digital colouring on the characters mm-hmm. um, so they look much more cartoonish than these sort of natural watercolour environments and then there are bits where the sort of more spiritual elements where it starts to split out and the watercolours blur into the, into the characters. Right. Um, but that's something I, I really, really enjoyed. Um, also, uh, probably won't go into everything because there's a lot of stuff that I need to read in more detail and will want to go over properly in another episode. But um, there's one called Celeste um, by Ian J. Colbard. Who you, you'll know, dangling,ly familiar. You'll know him as an artist. He did Deadbeats, and he does a lot of Sherlock Holmes oh, and Lovecraft yes. adaptations. But this is his first um, first uh, book as a writer and artist solely, mm. um, and it's about three people in different parts of the planet who find themselves completely um, alone. Everyone else just disappears. Um, and it's about what they would do um, 
not in a society's broken down, run around sort of sense. But it's just what they would do to address their own issues, inner fears, loneliness, um, and things like that, if just left alone and having space to sort of be free, experiment, address what's wrong with them, essentially. Mm. So it's quite interesting. It starts out with a sort of Twilight Zone-esque premise, but actually sort of sort of jumps every two pages between the different characters and sort of has them working out across their own mm. inner journey, I say, in a sense. And it's quite... I don't know that I could wholeheartedly recommend it. His art certainly better than it is in Deadbeat, so I think that's partly the colouring. Um, and partly it seems less rushed. Um, but I thoroughly enjoyed that one as well. Okay, so, I mean, it sounds like you had a great time at TCAF, and it had a lot of kind of... was rocking a lot of the diversity stuff and quite a lot of stuff going on, but you said you kind of prefer Thought Bubble? What do you... So what are we... What are, what, what are we like from a comic show? Like, we, you guys have done LCAF, you've done TCAF, we've done Thought Bubble, we might have done a few others. What so do we want? I... So one thing that I, I know I really don't want is the stuff that you get at places like MCM Expo and London Super Expo and things like that, which is the sort of merchandise expos where you've got people doing signed headshots and meet and greets and things like that. That's the, that sort of conflation of, of comics and general sci-fi fandom is not something that I'm interested in. So I think pure comic show definitely is something that works for me, something that doesn't really go into anything else in any particular depth. So they have yeah. film screenings at TCAF, they have film screenings for things like Judge Minty, uh, Thought Bubble, um, uh, which is fine, but I, I don't really want like someone who was in one episode of Deep Space Nine looking sad and signing glossy headshots. Yeah. Um, I also like, and this this is, uh, my any intellectual post that I have just drops, some mainstream creators are nice. I do read mainstream comics and TCAF is, is very very indie which is lovely and you get to see a lot of people that you don't otherwise necessarily get to see and who maybe wouldn't um, otherwise have a platform somewhere else yeah particularly for me I think a lot of indie creators get get in uh, Thought Bubble there's plenty of them um, and it's a slightly different crowd at TCAF for me because it's the people that can travel to North American shows but they can't necessarily make it to Europe so mm-hmm. it's the sort of the equivalent of the people who can do a few UK shows a year but not the big American necessarily ones. go to the big American ones yeah but it's nice to have people who work on some of the big mainstream properties because I read those um, I, I don't think that's the dropping of your intellectual posing it's a perfectly reasonable requirement I wouldn't want to go to a show that was entirely those but... no god no uh, that would be horrible mm. um, no so basically pure comics and like five guys from Marvel. Boys? I like good meaty panels that are well moderated. That's one thing. The panels had great guests. The moderators were usually hungover. I'm kind of, I'm more interested in hearing creators talk about interesting stuff than just hearing them chat to each other. And it, mm. if you don't moderate tightly, it can descend into that a fair bit. Especially when the panels theme is vague or nebulous which it sometimes is yeah I think some of them when they require a lot of prep as well 
and people either don't do it or they haven't been briefed correctly. Yeah. Well, this is my bugbear about panels in general, right? Like, so honestly, it's not usually a format that works for me. No. Um, I would generally prefer a good talk. But, yes, I would massively prefer a presentation. But I also have the attention span of a fucking sparrow, so panels work quite well for that, assuming mm. they've got you know, a condensed amount of the meat of a talk with the attention snappiness of tabbed browsing, basically. Mm. So I think the... The Young Avengers one that we saw last year at Thor Bubble was pretty good because it was kind of, it wasn't moderated. It was Kieran Gillen holding court and then it was a bit of an act of theatre. But you're gonna get that. You're gonna get that with Gillen. There's gonna be some theatre. But I enjoyed, I enjoyed it. Yeah, I no, exactly. That's that's their shtick, and they're very good at marketing themselves. It's mm. part of the whole deal. And well, yeah, they the think about it and plan. Pre-order Ferrari around Wicked and Divine is shown that spectacularly I do not mean that as, as a diminishment I'm fully expecting no, it to I, be a great book I don't mean the sense of theatre in a diminishing no. way either it's just what no, they're no, doing no. Um, oh well actually for that particular presentation I thought maybe a, a, the it's playing to the home t- uh, the home crowd yeah so I don't begrudge them that no oh God, no no I just um, where am I going with this Sometimes I'd have you ha- get cranky. I'd have happily had exactly the same thing, but maybe they could have stuck 10 minutes on it so we could have had some content to make up for the grandstanding. I liked the grandstanding. But you wanted some grist as well. Yeah, and there was plenty in the middle, but because there was so much parenthetical fluff. Mm-hmm. Good fluff. The other thing that I would like at a comics festival is basically something you can do yourself by turning up quite early when most other people are hungover. And that's to have enough people in the hall that you don't feel anxious about going and looking at the comics, but not so many that you feel anxious about how many people there are in the hall. Mm. Yeah, sometimes you want don't want to be sold to by the guy behind the table. Sometimes you just want to have a like guilt-free browse. Yeah, but but sometimes you don't want to be getting caught up in a queue to talk to someone for half an hour and oh god, people are going to crush me. Yeah, I'm I'll... just not queuing to talk to someone. That's. That's just like... Oh, it feels too subservient. It yeah, feels, it's a very one-sided yeah. interaction. It's, I'm an important person and you're a yeah. fucking... I feel that the other way around. I, just, I, I don't want to treat someone whose work I respect like a zoo animal. Yeah, there's that too. Yeah, I, so I, there's, there's a, there were some, some reasonable sort of conversations I had with people where it was far more, there's no pressure here, it's just a conversation that were over the table but a lot of the time if there's a lot of people waiting it's mm. very much hello I like your stuff I'm sure you do that's why you're here buying more of it this was lovely. also the queue of people likes it too yeah 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 that's not not something I'm desperately interested in but then I don't necessarily go to these things to meet or talk to creators so much as it's a nice tangential benefit occasionally by kind of go to buy things and point at stuff and hang out with people. Mm. But yeah, I know what you mean about having enough people that it's a show and not so many that it's not a massive crush. Yeah, I'm not an enjoyer of crowds and I believe you're not an enjoyer of crowds either. No. No. I'm not quite as twitchy as you guys are about it, but I'm still not a fan. But that that thing, um, go buy things, hang out, talk to people, I think that's the essence of it for me. Yeah. Have some fun and spend some money and enjoy Mm -hmm. the buzz. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I want from a show... Buy oh. some ham. Yeah. Do you like to have some ham? 
what defeated the creators. No, no. Behind the yeah, bars. just hold up like like shreds of it and they'll jump for it like a cat. Mm. So we've, I mean, we've really addressed some stuff today. We've we've got into the important matters of social justice. Ham. Ham. Maybe what possibility makes, of alien life. And what makes a good comic show? Space racism. Spracism. Actually, it turns out what makes a good comic show is social justice and ham. So I think for me, it's it's kind of the correct level of drunkenness to coffee. Uh, and being able to leave when I want and go and get more coffee or booze. Seeing as we're quite enthusiastic about social justice and also ham, it kind of surprises me that we failed to do an event ourselves. Yeah, I do feel I do feel a lingering shame. Like this year, this year's thought bubble it'll be two years since we said let's do consequential as a con, and we've totally failed to. Partly because we are feckless, and partly because we've got no marketing apparatus to sell vastly expensive tickets, but. Also, it's hard. And we don't have any ham. We Not could, right Ham now. is a thing we could have. I've got some in my fridge. We could, uh, yeah, but we'd need a lot more ham. We would. We would need a lot more ham. You just leave it out and comics creators come in the night. Yeah, they're, they're like urban foxes. That's why parents see, say see, kids see, don't leave the ham outside. Jamie McKelvey's eyes just glinting in the darkness as he sprints for the ham. Just, just at the door. Gillen gnawing at a hunk of pancetta. Yeah. Alan Moore just hovering in the corner inscrutably sniffing the lardo. I think Mark, someone gave Mark Ellaby a... Fuck, I was going to say a Billy Bear sausage. Sorry, <laughs> Mark Ellaby. <laughs> you don't want Billy Bear sausage. I don't want Billy Bear sausage. You don't know what it is. It's scrapes and entrails. It's mostly ring piece. Oh, yeah. ring piece. Yeah. Salty, smiley, bare-faced ring piece. It's how it keeps, it's how it keeps the shape. Yeah. It's not... You know, it's not pressed into a circular shape. That's its natural contraction. It's just tight. You couldn't get a Hitachi magic wand up there. No, you you could not. No. Billy Bear don't take no magic wand. Not up, Billy. Billy doesn't do that shit anymore since he got out of prison. Well, good night. Good night.